Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies, and we have a very special guest. This will be someone that anyone with a new baby or preparing to have a new baby will want to listen to and listen to closely and even take some notes. So we have Dr. Harvey Karp here, and let me tell you a little bit about him. Dr. Harvey Karp is one of America's leading pediatricians and child development experts. His celebrated books and videos, The Happiest Baby on the Block, The Happiest Toddler on the Block, and The Happiest Baby Guide to Great Sleep has been translated into over 20 languages and have benefited millions of parents. Happiest Baby classes are taught by thousands of specially trained educators in university hospitals and public health programs across America and in over 20 other nations. Dr. Karp's insight into child development, the calming reflex, the five S's, and, child, and toddler ease has made him one of the world's leading baby and sleep experts. Several peer-reviewed studies have validated his innovative observations, and multiple additional studies are underway. No wonder the New York Times applauds his landmark ideas by saying, roll over, Dr. Spock. Dr. Karp is an assistant professor of pediatrics at the UCS Keck School of Medicine and a fellow of the American Academy of Pediatrics. He practiced in pediatrics in Los Angeles for almost 30 years. His unique ability to translate complex science into effective techniques to empower parents have revolutionized our understanding of the needs of young children. Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money at Hi, Dr. Karp. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Yeah, so good to speak with you, Deb. I'm so excited. Yeah, so as I was listening to, I watched your video and I looked through the book and part of me is like, I can't believe that while this was circulating around and I'd heard of it, that I didn't do these things for my own kids. I'm kind of kicking myself because so, <laughs> they, they seem brilliant, especially the video watching you with the babies. So let's just jump into a little bit about what brought you to this work. Well, um, when I was studying way back in the in the uh, dinosaur era at UCLA, studying child development, um, I was working with children um, who I was actually on the child abuse team and working with children who were who were injured and and sometimes even tragically killed by their very own parents, only because they cried too much. And these were not terrible parents; these were just parents who were so stressed they just redlined; they couldn't take it anymore, and they snapped. And um, 
And at that time, and still today, many doctors will tell families, there's nothing you can do when babies cry. You have to put them down, close the door, you know, just wait it out. And then I learned about a tribe in Africa that could calm their crying babies in under a minute, 95% of the time. So when I learned that, I realized either they were mutant babies, you know, different from our babies out there, or those parents knew something that we had forgotten in our culture. And I really set on a path then to try to understand everything about crying babies and sleep and see why couldn't we be as successful in our culture as that, that tribe is. And that really is what led me on my path. That's amazing. And how did you refine these techniques? So you saw the tribe doing it, and then how did you get it down to the five S's and, and figure out how to teach it to other parents? So this is, by the way, all in Happiest Baby on the Block, and um, that's a book and a DVD. And actually, the funny thing about having a book and a DVD is I love the book, but what I really recommend the DVD to parents. Um, number one, because you, these are techniques and it's kind of like learning how to tie your shoelaces. You know, you kind of learn it better by watching than by reading a 200 page book. Um, and that's actually that, what I discovered when I watched, when I read the book, I, yeah. I kind of got it, but then I watched the video and I'm like, Oh, that's what he meant. Exactly. Like the shush, really? You shush like that? You swaddle mm-hmm. like that? It was more the jiggling. I'm like, oh, yeah, the and the side holding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all of these are techniques. And the interesting thing about it is that you have to do them pretty close to right or they totally don't work and, or even make things worse. So it's kind of um, really requires you to understand what you're doing. Not that it's brain surgery. You know, I mean, it's just simple techniques, but but you do have to do them correctly. So when I when I learned about this tribe, I started um, really researching. I, I, I want to look up everything that had been studied about crying babies. And we knew a lot, really. Rock them, shush them, hold them, um, um, you know, let them suck, feed them. There was, you know, quite a bit that was known. And, um, and then I started to think about, well, how does that all work? And I was, I mean, people had previously thought that this is like imitating their life in the womb, but no one had made it the core concept for new parents. I mean, for me, the most important thing you need to know about new babies is that they're born three or four months before they're ready for the world. And that's the idea of the fourth trimester. The only reason we give birth to them is because their heads are so big and because we have arms that can hold and carry babies. For other other species that can't carry their babies, they could never survive if they gave birth to such immature babies. Um, and so we're, we had to give birth and, and we were able to give birth to them younger and younger because what's interesting and, and one of the things I show on the video is a baby horse running the first day of life. And they, they can do that and they have to do that because that's how baby horses survive. We human beings survive because of our big brains and our smarts. And so we need the head to be as big as possible to be able to come out. And then, of course, then we're off to the races. The head grows enormously quickly over the next uh, four or five months, uh, almost doubling in in volume as the brain is just incredibly um, growing at an incredible pace. So when I figured all that out, then I, I had to ask myself the question, well, why why would we have a reflex to turn off crying? And why would it be turned on by imitating the womb experience? I like, are they, are they nostalgic for the womb? Are they like, oh, yeah, it's where I used to live. I love it there. You know, like wherever, Staten Island or Brooklyn or wherever. <laughs> 
know, it's like, right? Um, and it turns out that that I believe the reason that babies are born with this reflex that's like an off switch for crying and an on switch for sleep that you can use over the first three or four months to help soothe them and get them sleeping better. I think that the reason that they that they babies have this has nothing to do with babies, actually. It has to do with fetuses. In other words, as babies evolved over time and their heads got bigger and bigger, you did not want a baby swimming around too much inside of you. They'd get stuck in a transverse, a sideways position or or a breech position where they delivered feet first, and then they'd get caught by their heads. And many, many babies have died and many mothers have died when the baby got stuck coming out of the womb. And so I think that this reflex evolved to put babies in a trance the last two months of pregnancy so that they just keep their heads down and they are just chilling. You know, they're just waiting to be born. And um, and and most moms will tell you that they've noticed that when they go to bed at night, is oddly when the baby gets most active. And in part, that's because you've taken away all that fast, jiggly motion of walking and going up and down the stairs that is really waking, um, is keeping a baby in the trance. And um, and I've had even women when they're pregnant kind of bop their bellies back and forth like a little tortilla <laughs> back and forth to, to put their fetus back to sleep. And the one thing, I know I'm talking and talking about this, but one last thing I want to say is that the curious thing about this is that when it, when you have these reflexes in babies, and the babies have many reflexes, sucking, rooting, startle reflex, and, and they kind of go away after four months or so. This one goes away as well, but it is so deeply a part of who we are as human beings that for the rest of your life, you get into this zen, peaceful, calm when you imitate the sensory experiences that you have in the womb. So rocking in a hammock or in a boat or falling asleep in a train or loving the sound of the wind or the ocean. Um, when you're crying and upset, if someone holds you and rocks you and shushes you, it's so deeply a part of us. It's not a reflex anymore, but it's like a conditioned response. And it's curious when you look at yogic traditions, because the, um, the, the, the mythology, if you will, of saying Om is that Om is the first sound in the universe. And in a way it is. It's the first sound in a baby's universe. It's really the rumbly um, sound, it's, which is almost as loud as a vacuum cleaner that babies hear in the womb, is, is, is rumbly and resonant. And it's why we, we go Om with that deep voice. You don't go la, 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 la. <laughs> It just wouldn't work. This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Frame. Mother's Day is almost here. What are you getting her? Something that shows you care. Something that makes her feel loved. Something that won't stress you out. Something like the Skylight Frame. The Skylight Frame is the perfect gift. It's a touchscreen photo frame your whole family can upload photos to from wherever they are in the world. It's a way to share with her all the moments that matter. It sets up in seconds. You can even make sure that it's already loaded with photos when your mom opens her Mother's Day gift. And her Skylight Frame can hold thousands of the treasured photos you share. It's an easy, heartfelt way for mom to stay connected with those who matter most. It really is the perfect gift. Now, as a special Mother's Day offer for our listeners, 
Get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightframe.com slash easy. Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, we talk about when we do in prenatal and we ohm because we do one ohm in the beginning, one ohm at the end. I talk about not only feeling the vibration in the mom's chest in that cavity, but knowing the baby's hearing and feeling the vibration on their skin. So I'm glad that you brought that up. And so that's what you call the calming reflex, kind of that, that rocking and the noise. That's right. And that's really what the happiest baby talks about. That was never known before. It's really a, a new discovery that, that babies have that adults have it as well, but babies have it where it's almost irresistible for the first um, four months or so. Yeah, I actually find when I sit to meditate, I find I just naturally do this little rocking back and forth, yes. and it's very calming. So uh-huh. I, I go with it. So let I, me. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And actually, a lot of people when they meditate, and especially if they can't, you know, calm the monkey brain, so to speak, they um, turn on white noise. Mm-hmm rumbly, low-pitch white noise, though, not high-pitched, harsh white noise. That's often irritating. But rumbly, low-pitch white noise helps you not pay attention to everything else in the world around you. Absolutely. So let's break down the 5S technique, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Sure. So um, so this is just kind of a way of helping parents remember five steps that imitate the womb. And so the first test is swaddling with the arms down. Um, and you have to do that in a certain way for it to work. Arms down, snug arms, loose hips. Um, parents oftentimes get confused. They say, my baby doesn't like to be swaddled. My baby's resisting it. Babies do resist it, uh, having their arms straightened because in the womb, their arms are bent up, but babies don't get a vote. They do not get asked their preference. Babies don't know what's best for them. And so parents all around the world have used this arm down technique for thousands of years for swaddling. That's the first step. Swaddling does not put babies into this calming state, but what it does do is it keeps them from startling and flapping, whapping themselves in the nose and things like that. So it prepares them for the calming. Um, it's like you getting into your, you know, cross leg position on a comfortable place or sitting down in a comfortable place. It's the preparation. And then the next test is the side or stomach position. The back is the best position for sleeping. It's the only safe position for sleeping, but it's the worst position for calming a crying baby. So for calming, you want them rolled towards the stomach or even totally on the stomach. The third S is shushing or white noise. And again, that has to be a certain quality. And it's different. If they're crying, it needs to be high pitch and loud. And if they're sleeping, it needs to be kind of low pitch and and quieter. And then the fourth S is swinging or jiggling motion. Same thing with that, slow rocking when they're sleeping, but fast, tiny jiggles. Again, like you're in a car hitting every pothole, you know, uh, and a speed bump to get that kind of jiggly shake that imitates what the baby experienced when you were hustling up and down the stairs when you were pregnant or in exercise class. And then the fifth S is the icing on the cake. That's sucking, whether it's at the breast or on a pacifier. That kind of gets them into a totally mellow state and gets them ready for sleeping. So I want to backtrack a little. First of all, these are brilliant. Um, to the swaddling and being on the side, why the side or stomach? What does that do? Well, it's really more the not back position. Let's okay. put it that way. When they're on their backs, they feel like they're falling. Mm-hmm. Your fetus is never flat on its back. And many babies, you they just hate it. You And this is confusing to parents because, and to doctors, I have to say, 
doctors for the last 20 years have said only sleep on the back. Babies should only sleep on the back, which is true. However, babies don't sleep well on the back. And what happens is that they then wake up more often. And that is really tough on families because parents today are, you know, they're pretty much expecting that the normal family is two parents and a child. That's kind of a normal family, maybe two parents and two children. Sometimes your parents will visit. That is the most weird, abnormal and experimental family that's ever existed in the history of humanity. The only normal family is the extended family. And up until 100 years ago, everybody lived with their moms and their aunts and their older sisters lived next door and you knew your next door neighbors. So today, if you have a night nurse or a nanny, that's pretty cush, you're well off. But up until 100 years ago, everyone had five nannies. You're, you know, all of these extended family and, and neighbors and friends. And that's important for people to understand because it's not rocket science taking care of a baby, but it is very hard work. It's exhausting. And that exhaustion isn't trivial. It leads to postpartum depression and anxiety. It leads to marital stress. It leads to breastfeeding failure. It leads to child abuse. It leads to cigarette smoking. It leads to obesity because you're overeating and not exercising. And very importantly, it leads to infant sleep death because parents are so tired they accidentally or intentionally bring the baby in bed with them. And that's a beautiful thing to do. And once they're over nine months, that can be a wonderful thing to do. But in the first nine months, it's taking a risk. A, a couple of thousand babies die each year in the United States. Actually, 4,000 babies die each year in the United States in their sleep. 70% of them die in an adult bed or sleeping in an unsafe place with an adult. So this is not a trivial issue. It's, it's, it's more people than died in 9-11 are dying every single year. And, and it's not that you sleep with your baby and instantly they're going to die, but you're taking a chance that you don't need to take. You can have the baby right next to your bed because the thing that's confusing to people and, and really people don't think about this, you would never bed share with your baby if you were drunk ever. But when you're very tired, you're the equivalent of drunk. That's why there are as many car accidents from exhaustion as from drunk uh, drunkenness or intoxication. Mm -hmm. So it's important for people to understand that babies don't like the back, but they need to be on the back. And since they don't like it and we don't want them in bed with the parents, we need to do some other things that can improve the baby's sleep. I have a question. I've heard about like a wedge that they, that seen some parents put in and just kind of gently. So they're still mainly on their back, but it's like a 30 degree wedge. Um, just so the baby's slightly to its side. Have you heard of that? Or is, is that how, what would, is that okay to use? No, it's not. Okay. It's specifically not recommended to use wedges or positioners in the bed because they'll slide down, they'll roll over. It actually makes them more unstable. And so it's easier for them to get into a bad position if they have a wedge. That makes total sense. I guess also if they're all, you know, bundled up in their, in their swaddle, that makes total sense. What about putting a baby to sleep in a swing? I used, I remember when my son, I can't remember, it was maybe my daughter, um, when they were a little cranky and I was just trying to get dinner together, I would put her, one of them, in the swing. How's that for, right. is that okay to use? Well, swings are okay to use for keeping kids entertained and calm, but not really for sleeping. Mm -hmm. So the Academy of Pediatrics 
came out last year with a recommendation that babies never sleep sitting up in car seats and swings or rock and plays. And the reason is because there was a study that showed that when babies are sitting up, even a little sitting up, they have such heavy heads and such weak necks that the head can kind of roll forward and they can have difficulty breathing. So there were several children who died because they were sleeping in a sitting position. And um, of course, they'll fall asleep in a car seat. Well, that was going to say, like, they sometimes fell asleep there. And it wasn't purposeful, but they would fall asleep. So if a parent sees the baby fall asleep in a swing, try to transfer them? Yeah, that's really what's recommended. Yeah, same thing for the car seat. It's fine if you're in the car and you're driving and their heads are jiggling a little bit and stuff. But once you're out of the car, you want to transfer them out of the car seat. Don't just leave them there. Okay, that makes sense. So let's go back to one thing about the five S's. Do you find that most people need to use all of them or are they layering them? Some babies just respond? Yeah, great question. So swaddling is the cornerstone. It's the key. They all need to be swaddled, arms down, snug. But after that, babies are pretty much the same, but they're not identical. So some babies are sound babies, some are motion babies, bouncing baby boys, you know. Some of them are sucking fiends. Um, and, And the fussier ones need two or three or sometimes all five of the S's simultaneously and kind of energetically. You have to be a little bit more jiggly and and vigorous than your baby is crying to be able to get them to settle down. That's why if the baby is crying and you swaddle them and you roll them to the stomach and they're still really upset, you might turn on a hairdryer, not a recording of a hairdryer, a real hairdryer, which sounds odd because it's so loud, but that's the kind of um, kind of intensity that some babies need to break that cycle. That makes sense. And then I know also in your video you talked about colic and how babies respond and gas pain and are these things when every time a mom hears her baby cry, is it colic? Is it gas? Is it just cranky? Can you talk about your thoughts on colic? Sure. So colic comes from the ancient Greek word meaning intestine. That's why we use the same word to talk about our colon. And so for thousands of years, doctors and mothers and grandmothers have assumed that the crying that babies do in those first months of life is because they have gas pains or indigestion or things like that. Um, The colicky period doesn't start in the first week or two of life. It really starts after that and peaks at six or eight weeks. And then by three or four months, it's gone. Um, And we call that the um, we used to call it the, the three months colic because it's pretty much over after three months. But these babies will be fed. They'll be perfectly fine for other parts of the day. And suddenly they just turn into, you know, these devils and get so, so upset. Oftentimes in the evening that happens. The main reason that that occurs is not gas pains. It's not stomach pains. It's not indigestion. It's not acid reflux. It's not bad bacteria in the intestine. All of those things are really tangential and and, and generally unrelated to the problem. Not that they don't have gas. Of course, they do, and they barf, and they feel things in their stomachs, but not to make them scream for an hour, not to make them writhe in pain. That's not what's going on. What's going on is these are sensitive kids and intense kids, and they are just, um, it's like the straw that broke the camel's back. They're just, by the end of the day, they just have too much stimulation and too little stimulation at the same time. And what I mean by that is it's too much chaotic stimulation, too much new stuff that's going on, and not enough rhythmic stimulation, the rhythmic rocking and sound that kind of helps kids get into you know, a calming zone that, that, that um, 
that transcendent kind of uh, meditative zone. So hold, rock, walking with your baby eight hours a day is like putting money in the bank. You know, that helps them be calmer at night. But just letting them sit there all day long is like sensory depriving for them. And by the end of the day, they can't handle it anymore. And that's when they melt down. Yeah, I've had some friends and several students that have colicky babies, and it's a completely different crying experience than an uncolicky baby. And and the mothers really suffer. The parents really suffer when they have a colicky baby. So Absolutely. I'll be sure to uh, to gift them <laughs> your video <laughs> and your book. Well, I want to switch topics and talk about the snoo. So um, I was first introduced to it at one of the New York baby shows. And actually, saw it at the Chicago Baby Show. And mm-hmm. I was thrilled that we have one at the studio right now. It's our giveaway this month. Um, I actually voted, I'm not, allowed, not sure if I can say it, but I voted as um, one of the top prizes for or, or best in class for Chicago because I know it's expensive, but my thought is if it helps a parent sleep, <laughs> that is worth every penny. So um, let's just talk a little bit about how you came up with it. Sure, you bet. So so for the last, so Happiest Baby came out 15 years ago or so, and we now have thousands of Happiest Baby educators teaching Happiest Baby classes in hospitals, clinics, military bases, WIC programs across the U.S. and in 20 nations. So we're getting that message out. But nevertheless, the number one pain point for new parents is still exhaustion. So in other words, people were learning the five S's and that helped them during the day. But what do you do all night long? How do you get some help? And especially when you're a small family or you don't have extended family or you're a single mom or single dad, um, what do you do all night long? And today there's this concept that the only good mother is a macho or matcha mother. She's there 24-7. She'll be holding and rocking her baby all night long and getting up every hour with her baby because that's what caring mothers do. And that's a huge lie. In fact, mothers never did that. They always, I mean, of course they slept with their babies and they would hold and rock them, but they would have help 24-7 by their extended family. So it wasn't so hard for them to do it at night because they were being helped all day long. So if you look at this, this stress on families and the lack of sleep, that became very motivating for me to try to figure out how could we use the five S's to help people, but do it all throughout the night, not just using white noise machines and swaddling, but a lot of babies, that wasn't enough. So I partnered up with one of the heads of the uh, of uh, MIT Engineering to develop this bed that's actually it's not even a bed. It looks like a bed. What it really is is your your grandmother. I mean it really is your your mother's helper. It's the it's another member of your family. So whenever you want to take a shower or feed your family or get a little bit longer nap, the bed will rock and shush your baby all night long. And keep your baby safe because it's a special new type of swaddle we developed that attaches to the bed. So babies cannot roll to an unsafe position. And then what happens is there are microphones in the bed that detect when the baby cries. And the bed automatically responds with more motion and sound. Again, imitating what you would do if a crying baby's in your arms with a little bit more bouncing, a little bit louder shushing. And it goes up several levels. And what we see is we can, we can usually calm a crying baby even in the middle of the night, unless they're hungry or uncomfortable, in which case the bed will just go a couple of minutes and then it stops. So it's not like a neglectomatic or, you know, a, a, you know, a replacement. It's just really a little bit of a helper. And uh, we normally see that when you use it right from the get-go, babies will sleep an extra hour, hour and a half. 
And that's um, golden to a new mom or a new parent. I mean, an extra hour, an hour and a half is massive. Yeah, it really is all the difference between between being drunken and getting into accidents and being able to kind of hold it together. And uh, But it's not a magic bed. They're not going to go in and sleep eight hours. But instead of waking up every two to three, they'll wake every three to four. And instead of taking a half hour to rock them asleep, maybe it'll only take you five minutes and then the bed will do the rest. But by two, three months, most babies are – it's something that we never thought was possible before. By two, three months, we have them – their circadian rhythm or their day-night balance in order so they're able to sleep seven, eight, nine hours at a stretch, which was never possible before to do that routinely. So it's the safest, most effective baby bed. And actually, I have to say the biggest ding we get, I mean, there's several questions people ask about this. Like number one, once they're used to motion and they have it all night long, is that hard for them to wean off of that later on? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I actually had a student that she saw, she came in last week, she's like, oh my God, I can't believe you have this new, and she told me about her experience, which she loved it, but she came up with two issues, is that when her son was five months, she felt like she was back at the beginning, because she had no idea what to do and how to get him to sleep. She became a little codependent. And then when she traveled, one time they decided to drive and they packed up their snoo, and the second time they had to fly, and she made her mom buy one. So... I think, (laughs) which I'm like, wow, that's quite an investment. Um, But from what she said, like she felt codependent on it. Have you heard that feedback? Um, I wouldn't say I've heard that they feel codependent. They do feel that it's an important tool. Now, if you go on a vacation and you can't bring a lot of people vacate and they don't bring it with them and vacation, don't bring it with them. And they, um, you know, as long as you're swaddling the baby with our special swaddle and you're using our white noise, the babies tend to coast pretty well through that. So up to a week, it can kind of fall apart after a week because they are getting used to it. But by five, six months, it's actually a piece of cake to wean babies off of this because they're ready at that point. They're ready. You can wean them off of swaddling. You can wean them off of the pacifier and motion. White noise I use at least for the first year, if not for many years. But it's actually a piece of cake to wean them off of. And we have a special uh, setting on our app that automatically weans them. So actually, it's it's super easy to do that. Oh, good. I think that will just take the one piece of like concern away because it really seems brilliant. And again, anything that helps a parent sleep is a good thing. <laughs> so um, where can people... I, yeah. I want to just comment on sure. is the expense of it. Because... Oh, sure. Because I actually would say that um, it is the best bargain available. Now, it costs $1,160, although we often have sales and things like that, and uh, people can even buy it secondhand or something. $1,160, that's a lot for a baby bed. But it's not a lot for for a beautiful bed, the most advanced white noise machine, the safest swing that's available, three organic cotton swaddles, an extra hour or two of sleep a night, peace of mind that your baby can't roll into an unsafe position, and 24-7 your own personal helper for the first six months. That turns out to be about $5 a day if you look at it over six months. 
which you're kind of spending on Red Bull and coffee just to stay awake with your baby, for the same money, you could end up having the most effective bed and a much happier experience with babies. So what we see is that this is not just a shishi New York, L.A. kind of a thing. This has been sold from Mississippi to Alaska and nurses, um, teachers, truckers, lots and lots of people buy it. You can actually buy it for zero interest on our website for $3 a day. So our goal is to really make it accessible. It isn't just for celebrities. Yeah. And if you're having multiple kids, you know, save it, use it for them and then eventually maybe sell it or give it to a friend. So again, I think it's great. Then it's like $2 a day. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, I mean, so when you look at it that way, it's like... Which is oh, cheaper than a Starbucks coffee. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I think your work is fantastic. Where can people find out more about your work? And is there anything that else you want to share with the community? Any other work that you're doing? Yeah, thanks so much for that. So they can get more information at happiestbaby.com. I tried to get happiestbaby.com, C-A-L-M, <laughs> but I wasn't able to get that. But um, the the work I'm doing, there's a lot of work. We're doing lots of uh, university research on SNU. Some great stuff we're already seeing that we can treat and even prevent postpartum depression uh, with using the bed. Not for everybody, but it's a big help if you can get more sleep and if you feel more supported. So even at the Motherhood Center um, in New York City, which is a great center for women um, experiencing postpartum mood problems, Uh, But at University of Michigan, UC San Diego, University of Amsterdam, we've got lots of research on that, on using the bed for babies withdrawing from opiates, and especially in hospitals, because right now, as we encourage breastfeeding and skin-to-skin, babies are falling asleep in their mother's hospital bed, and they're falling out of bed and getting injured, and mothers are even rolling on top of their babies, and it's creating a very serious situation. And so what we need to do is, of course, encourage breastfeeding and skin to skin, but have in the room a safe place where the baby can sleep because the babies don't like going in those plastic buckets that are next to the bed. They need a bed that responds to them and that rocks them and trishes them. So we're excited that over the next couple of years, more and more hospitals will have this, more and more hotels. So when you travel, you don't have to have your mother buy one. Uh, They'll be in the hotel. And, um, and then the last thing I would just tell people is for kids eight months to five years of age, there's something called the happiest toddler on the block. And that is kind of magical way to communicate with toddlers that can eliminate 50 to 90% of temper tantrums, but more importantly, helps you raise uh, a more patient, a more respectful, uh, and a more emotionally balanced child. Which is great for society and our world in general. <laughs> yes. The last thing I just want to ask you, because I know our time's running out, um, but when I was doing some research about you, I didn't realize you were involved with the app, the uh, EWG, and which I have on my phone, and I use it all the time to look at um, the toxic- toxicity of products. Can you just briefly talk about that? Sure, yeah. Uh, my wife and I, for the last um, 30 years, have been very, very involved in trying to make the world a better place for young children around environmental hazards. So reducing lead exposure and chemical exposure. And we are swimming in chemicals. I mean, it's just, honestly, you, we, t- we, we think that, that products are screened or, or, or tested before they're put in the marketplace. And actually, it, that doesn't happen, as amazing as that sounds. So EWG, or Environmental Working Group, is a fantastic organization. We serve on the national board of that. And they have an app called Skin Deep, 
which allows you to scan any barcode in the store and it will instantly tell you if it's rated, you know, as safe or it's, a, you know, what chemicals you need to worry about. That it's are brilliant. Inter- I'm that person standing there with my phone scanning it and <laughs> be like, okay, it's a green. It's, you know, like, oh, it's a little bit of, you know, oh, there's red in here. Like, you know, the different um, way of evaluating. And it has exactly. really enlightened me of things that, I'm, that I was surprised. I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that was something I shouldn't be using. So yeah. And sometimes it says natural and it doesn't mean anything. You know what I mean? That's just a phony baloney kind of a, a word that seduces you into buying something that's unhealthy. Yeah. But the thing brilliant. I would say about EWG or any environmental organization is parents, young parents have to realize something. The work, there are hundreds of millions of dollars being spent by lobbyists to have more chemicals, more dangers in the world. There's very few people on the front lines fighting for our families. Now, you can't do that as a new mom. You shouldn't have to go to the, dr- the, the, the grocery store and look at your bananas and say, is this a safe banana or not a safe banana? I mean, you're not a, a biochemist. You're supposed to be out there being a soccer coach or something, but not a biochemist protecting your child, not a private investigator. So groups like EWG are doing this for everybody. And the reason I'm saying that is that people need to vote with their dollars and make contributions to organizations like EWG and NRDC and, you know, groups like that. EWG, I think, is is the best of the organizations, but there are many good ones. And don't be blasé. Don't assume that. It, look in New York. New York in 30 years is going to be a total disaster because of the rising waters. Who's going to pay for that? Your kid, Shay's going to have to mortgage his house to pay his taxes because we won't have enough money to repair the subway system. I mean, can you believe how foolhardy we are? 30 years from now is nothing. And if we don't do something immediately to reduce global warming and some of these other environmental threats, the earth is going to survive Insects are going to survive and the United States will survive too, but New York City won't, Miami won't, Houston won't, New Orleans won't, LA won't. We're going to lose trillions of dollars of value that we built up. It's like taking your house and demolishing it and saying, oh, well, so you invested your life in that. Too bad. Um, We need to be much more active and concerned. And so I guess that's a and a worrisome but encouraging note to leave it on because we can make a difference if we all pull together. And absolutely. And the fact that we're recording this on election day really says something. So I wanted to thank you for your time. I loved researching your information. I love having this new at the studio and uh, I'm going to run out and get the happiest toddler because I still have a three-year-old. So <laughs> I'm going to read Thanks. more about that. Deb, we really, really appreciate your support. And our goal right now is just helping parents learn about SNU and, and, and realize that there is an extra tool that can help them. Oh, well, thank you. And we'll put all of the stuff you talked about in our show notes. Well, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks so much. Thanks, Take Dave. care. Bye. For my yoga teacher friends who are interested in working with the pregnant population, Prenatal Yoga Center offers an 85-hour Yoga Alliance certified program based on our three-prong theory of prenatal yoga, asana, education, and community. Once a year, we hold our three-month immersion program in New York City. For those who cannot attend this training, Caprice and I are now traveling to different locations holding our training at hosting studios where we will spend six days working together, exploring and learning about prenatal yoga. This training consists of more than 50 hours working together. We also created a whole membership website with more than 20 videos corresponding directly to the manual you will receive. 
For more information, check out our website at prenatalyogacenter.com. Hope to work with you soon. Take care. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.